This is the Scott Radley Show podcast. Welcome to the Scott Radley Show for this hump day in August. I was going to do it with an Elvis accent today, trying to do my best Elvis, but I decided I wouldn't do that because I don't want to drive everyone away from the show. I don't do a good Elvis. I, I, I should be able to. Everyone does a good Elvis. I don't do a good Elvis. I was on Bill Kelly earlier today. We were chatting, and the one time I did an Elvis impression that I actually got a good response was when I was in 1989. I was down at Graceland with a buddy. And when you go to Graceland, Graceland Mansion is on one side of Elvis Presley Boulevard. And across the street, there's, well, I don't know what's there now, but back then there was a little strip plaza where you would actually go and buy your tickets to go into Graceland. And then you would get on a small shuttle bus, which would cross the street and drive through the music gates and up to the front door of Graceland. And we're standing on this shuttle bus with as many people in it as it can fit, all of them apparently serious fans of the king, devotees of the king. And so I, of course, this was a few years ago, being younger and less um, aware perhaps, <laughs> I said, I turned to my buddy and I said loudly enough, so pretty much everyone in the shuttle bus heard me and said, hey, you want to see my Elvis impression? Which of course, you know, you're going to do an Elvis impression. All the Elvis folks turned to look, including the woman with the giant bouffant hairdo and the Elvis shirt on. And he goes, yeah, sure. Let me see your Elvis impression or something to that effect. So I crossed my arms in front of my chest and closed my eyes and tilted my head back (laughs) and proceeded to be berated by bouffant lady. And frankly, most of the rest of the people in the shuttle bus Sadly, my Elvis impression, if I were to try to do that for you today, doesn't work so well on the radio. You have to kind of explain it, but um, I, I've not, uh, I've taken great pains to never do that again in front of a group of Elvis aficionados. They, they take the king rather seriously, don't you know? You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. A couple things. One good news, one bad news. Or, well, sort of. Uh, Let's start with the bad news, shall we? Just to get that out of the way. We're chatting yesterday evening with Councillor Judy Partridge, and she's now running for the Liberal Party. And one of the things that came up, we asked, I asked her specifically about the minimum wage that the Liberal government, the Kathleen Wynne Liberal government was going to be bringing in. And look, Judy Partridge, I got to be fair to Judy Partridge, she's joining the Liberal Party as a candidate, but she has had nothing to do with bringing this in. However, one of the things she did say was, that, as I recall, and I've got to be very careful because I don't want to put, again, put wrong words in her mouth, but we talked, I won't even say what she said. We, we talked about the minimum wage. Well, there have been a lot of things said one way or another about whether or not the minimum wage raised to $14 this year and then 15 the next is going to really have any kind of negative impact because there have been lots of people who have been saying that if you raise the minimum wage this much, Those who have jobs will be doing better, but a lot of smaller businesses and maybe others, but a lot of small businesses particularly won't be able to afford to keep all their staff. So people who are working will be making more money, but people who are on the bottom may be pushed right out. There may not be jobs. If I, if I own a company, if I own a small business and I have five employees and my I'm not making a ton of dough. I'm barely making a little bit of a profit to live on. 
and my labor costs are suddenly going to go up by 30%, that might mean I have to get rid of one or two staff members. So the people who are still there, they'll be, they'll be making a little more money, but some people will be unemployed as a result. This, this is the position that has been taken by a number of people. Others say, no, 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 no. That's completely overblown. It won't really have that effect. Companies are going to keep the staff they have. They're going to yell and scream and blow hot air all over the place and threaten and all the rest, but they're going to keep the staff they have. This is, and they'll end up paying it and everybody will be happier and we will live much closer to some form of a utopia. Well, for what it's worth, you probably caught this story yesterday. Ontario's third largest grocery chain is accelerating its study of automation. Metro is looking to automate many of its stores, meaning many of those people that are working right now on cash that check you out and stuff. You know how when you go to a store now, there are usually three or four checkout areas where you can do it yourself and there's a number then of people who are working there. They're saying, listen, we it's going to cost, Metro says it will cost 45 to $50 million more a year in salary for them if they don't automate. So they're going to be looking at automating, which means fewer jobs. Now, whether they follow through with this, that see, that's, that's, again, we get to the point where we're talking about whether or not this is just hot air and whether people are threatening or whether this is legit. But if they follow through, that's a lot of people who are suddenly going to be squeezed out. And it's not just that. Loblaws, which owns shoppers, and Loblaws and No Frills, they own that as well, are saying that they are, in their words, mobilizing all the resources to offset the $190 million hit that it will nail them for. Dollarama says it's going to have to raise prices. I guess it's not Dollarama, it'll be like $1.50-arama or $2.00-arama. Looney-rama, I don't know what they'll call it. Um, Magnet International says higher costs will affect things. Cineplex Odeon raised ticket prices in response to higher minimum wages last year and we may have to again, on and on and on. This is, but we're seeing right now a major company attach its name to the idea that it will be looking and it is going to be planning to head towards automation to save labor costs. This is not, I don't think, what, anyone was hoping for, anyone is hoping for when they talk about raising the minimum wage. Certainly, however, not unpredictable when you raise it this much. It's a, it's a, it's a two-edged sword. It really is. There, some people believe that more money for everybody creates a utopia. I don't think those people live in a reality, quite honestly, because money has to come from somewhere. And it's either going to mean some people out of jobs or higher prices. So the people making more money are going to be paying more for everything. It's, I'm in favor of a higher minimum wage. I don't know that I, I'm, I'm not in favor. I got to be honest. When I look at, and I hear all these and you study these, not in favor of raising it so fast that it looks like people are going to be shoved out of their jobs. That to me is more concerning, but there's your bad news. We'll see where that goes. The good news, however, speaking of money. If you were listening last night to this program, or as they say in the States, this program, we've got to be talking like Elvis since we're on Elvis Day in Mississippi, the program. Uh, If you were listening to the program last night, 
you will know we had Councillor Donna Skelly on here and she was chatting about consultants reports and the city wasting money and overspending and things like that. Well, or was that Monday? That was Monday, I guess. I don't know what day it was. I completely lose track. Anyway, you know she was on here. Yeah, Monday. That came up at council today. And the good news is council has decided that it is going to be ramping up oversight of consultants' reports and all these other things. And and here's what we talked about on the show. We discussed this specifically. Not only why do we have to spend all this money on consultants, it seems to always be vast amounts of money, but I said, why can we not have some of this work done by the staff that we already have in place? We have people working for the city. Why can they not do, and surely they have some abilities. We know they do. We know they're good people. Why can they not come up with some of the answers to these issues? Why do we always have to be hiring consultants outside the city and paying extra money? Well, guess what? Guess what? The city, here's the lead from the spec story that's online right now. The city is ramping up oversight of the use of consultants and vowing to seek more in-house expertise following a scathing audit of past spending on outside experts. It is about time. It is about time. Thankfully, they are finally taking this, it sounds like, seriously. Not just the city of Hamilton, because it's absolutely not just the city of Hamilton, but way too many governments of all levels, in all provinces, in everywhere. It's not just here, but way too many governments. Almost every government, it seems, is is careless or not as careful as it should be with our money. Tax dollars are our money. We give them because we have to, but we give the tax dollars. We don't have a choice. We get these tax dollars taken away from us. Most of us are, maybe not with the total amount, but with the concept of tax dollars, we're okay with giving a certain amount of tax dollars to the government to be used. But the trade-off, or at least the expectation is, that we will that the governments will use that money wisely. You want to take some of my money from me? Okay. But make sure when you get that money, it's not frittered away and squandered and that you don't have to come back to me the next year needing more and more and more to cover the mistakes or the carelessness that you had. That's been a pattern though. That's happened way too often. So I absolutely applaud city council We don't always applaud city council in this city. We are often critical, but when they do something right, we got to applaud them and they deserve it in this case. And led by Donna Skelly, who was on here and she's been the one, she has spearheaded this thing. It's about time that council did this and good for them for doing it. Good for them for taking, and, and staff now under their direction, for taking a closer look at where is our money going. Hamilton doesn't have loads of dough. We are not a wealthy city as far as taxes goes. We are constantly seeing our tax dollars go up. The rates of our taxes go up. We're constantly hearing that we've got an infrastructure deficit. We're constantly hearing that we don't have a bank account, a city banking account flush with cash. So let's make sure the money that is taken from the taxpayers that does go to our taxes is used smart. Good for them for for taking the step. It's way overdue but good for them for doing it very much about time. Now I'm only hoping that 
this study doesn't actually require an outside consultant (laughs) that's going to cost a load of dough to figure out why we shouldn't be hiring outside consultants. There would be a great irony in that. I'm trusting that is not what's going to be happening. Surely, and I expect that our in-house folks can study this themselves at the cost of salaries that we're already paying and come up with a smart answer that says, you know what, we have bodies that can do a lot of these consulting things. Let's do it ourselves and save the taxpayers some dough. Good for them though. You have to pat them on the back when they do something right. They did something right. Pat on the back. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Let me bring in Bubba O'Neill. This was a Bubba request, this particular Elvis song. You want to take it away here, Bubba, at the chorus? Go ahead, sing it with him. Yeah, it's kind of begrud- be, be, begrud- sorry, the words begrudging at, at picking him. I mean, I know you love Elvis. Everyone <laughs> loves Elvis. I, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, and, and this is just a personal thing, you know, he gets, Elvis gets a lot of props, is the king of rock and, of rock and roll, but sorry, in my world, Chuck Berry is the, uh, is the king of rock and roll. Uh, you know what? I would say the Beatles would be up there too, but I, see, I'm not a, I'm not a huge, I like Elvis. I'm not, um, we're, we're playing it up today because his birthday. I, I'm, I, I like Elvis. I actually said at the end of the show, we're counting down 10 of the, best covers of Elvis songs. There are a number of those on there that I think they were done better than what Elvis did. But, you know, again, that's sort yeah. of sacrilege to some of the people. But, hey, at the end of our segment here, I'll let you uh, sing us out in your best Elvis impression. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you can pick your song. Um, I think Teddy Bear would fit with you. Uh, well, some, some would say that. Some would say that. <laughs> Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Always uh, bring him on here to chat a few sports things. And, boy, there was an, uh, a bit of a... I th- maybe a head-scratcher, maybe not a head-scratcher today, but certainly something that can get your attention in this city. Three years ago, a little more than three years, but it opened three years ago, 2015 in the Pan Am Games, so we're not even three years. A soccer stadium was built in this city. It's now Tim Hortons Field. It's now for football, but it was built for soccer, for the Pan Am Games. Now, two years, really, three football seasons after that place was built, Bubba, the list of places that the Canadian Soccer Association is putting forward to possibly host games if Canada gets to host a World Cup has been put out, and Tim Hortons Field not on the list. What do you make of that? Uh, I was a little surprised, to, to to be quite honest, off the, off the start, because I, I actually thought it would have been, and seeing that of its proximity to the GTA, I, I thought it made a lot of sense. Uh, as an extension of, of, of the possible options, obviously you have Vancouver, obviously you have places like Ottawa and Toronto uh, that, that were, were obvious places, maybe even Montreal. Um, but to not see Mo- Hamilton on the list was a bit of a surprise. I, I'm not going to lie to you there, Scott. Because I, mean, here, I don't know what the reasons are. but Well, so we've got this, this lawsuit going on. There's bad blood, apparently, I guess, or there, at least there's a lawsuit. I'll, I count lawsuits as bad blood, whether or not there's actually any uh, anger. But between the Ticats and the city and the province and everyone else, they're all you know involved in this thing about the stadium not being done and everything else. And the city... As we know, earlier this week, again, reiterated its stance that there will be no discussions about bringing a soccer team to Tim Hortons Field until this thing is resolved. And because the soccer team was started, the soccer league, this new league was started basically by Bob Young and was endorsed by the Canadian Soccer Association, 
Um, it, it almost sounds, though, now as if this is, hey, if the city's not going to let Hamilton, uh, let the Ticats bring their team here, we're not going to bring any big-time soccer to you. It all starting to sound like a bit of a peeing match. Uh, well said. I mean, but the word stadium in Hamilton for the better part of, I mean, how long did it take to build the thing? I mean, through... It's through, still not done. It's it's still not done. I mean, uh, there's still people owed money. You know, the Tiger Cats sort of got screwed in the construction of it and the timing of it. Games needed to be played in Guelph. Like, really? Can you remember how bad that was? Going to Guelph University for a, for a, a CFL football game? I mean, they did the best they could to, to set it all up, but it was just awful. Um, the whole thing has just been just a mess. And any time you seem to talk about that stadium, there seems to be controversy. And, and this one, obviously, a uh, controversy as well, too. But I, I do believe, I mean, the, whoever is missing out on monies or all this stuff should be taken care of before any more games are hosted. I, that's just my side of it. Like games, period, or just soccer games? Any games, I so, think, So really. the Cats should be kicked out of there until we get this thing resolved? Well, I mean, that would be silly. I mean, they're obviously playing there, and, I mean, it's a good enough that they can't host games. But I'd say any further, um, you know, concerts, add additional games, more than what's actually on the schedule right now, I, I think that's just, it's insane right now. And even the talk of this new soccer league, which, you know, I think is a great idea. I think it helps out with, the, with you know, the, the, the development of soccer in this country. I, I think I, I'm all for it. But until this, everything gets at least taken care of, as all the parties are taken care of and everyone can smile and say all of this mess is taken care of, why are we adding or expecting or looking to add extra dates on to any of this? Here, here's the part where I look at this and I think, you know, th- there is some pettiness going on because this World Cup that they are trying to get a piece of is not until 2026. It's nine years down the road. Now, right. I, I understand that lawsuits can take their time working through the courts and these things can drag on. But you have to expect that somehow within the next nine years, this thing is going to get resolved. So putting Tim Horton's field on the list of stadia that possibly could be in play for a World Cup game, even if you aren't in a position, even if it's kind of angry at each other right now and the Canadian Soccer Association is saying, fine, if you're, if, as Hamilton, if you won't let us bring a team in there and a league in there, we won't let you have a game. We're talking nine years down the road. This is, this is to me, seems pretty petty. There's no doubt that people are being childish and there's pettiness, but this, but this is what... But it's also petty on. of the city in some ways to say you can't play here, but I, I know what you're saying. You know, it's just, I, I, I don't know, I just... I. It, Maybe you put Hamilton with an asterisk with the possibility, the possibility of this uh, of this happening. But again, let, let's finish construction of the building. Let's finish uh, paying people who need to be paid, uh, and take care of all those legal things first before, as, as I said, we're adding any more extra dates to possible, you know, hosting of any major league worldwide events. Because to host a World Cup. There will be updates that need to happen to that stadium. I mean, because as you said, even though it is a long time away, there are other things that need to be done to the stadium to host uh, such an event. Uh, and I don't know if that's extra seating. Uh, the the field will probably, the turf will probably have to be sort of either redone or remarked. A- any of that stuff, let, let's take take care of of, of our own first. Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot because the the FIFA rules require that a stadium be forty thousand seats. So you would have to be able to put in. 
16,000 temporary seats somehow in that place. I don't know how you do that. I don't know if they put him in the end zone of, of one of the end zones or two of the end zones. Anyway, before any of that stuff is, is, is even looked at or costed out, again, people need to get paid and taken care of first, in my opinion. Let's stick with that stadium for a second on a totally different thing. There have been a num- There was a report, more than one. There were two reports that I've seen in the last few days, including one which was pushing very hard with the idea that, you know what the Hamilton Ticats really need at this point? What the Hamilton Ticats, 0-7, going into Friday's game with pretty much the season on the line, what the Ticats really need to do, seriously, Bubba, is bring in Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel would be the answer to the Ticats. It's time for Hamilton to go outside the box to go into kooky land and to bring in a guy who may or may not be a good quarterback, but we know carries a lot of baggage. Uh, but maybe he would be the answer to their problems. What do you think about that? You know, I think it's just hogwash. I mean, that's just, I mean, anyone that's, anyone that truly believes that doesn't know what they're talking about. And I don't say that very often because it's sort of dismissive of me to say that. But it really, you have no clue of what you're talking about. And I know the team right now are always seven. I know they're, you know, they look awful at times. I know there's been a couple of times, you know, the Edmonton games where they've looked, you know, you know pretty good and been competitive. But I'm sorry, you have a, you have a MOP capable quarterback you know that's working his butt off right now are there problems with that team there's many but bringing in Johnny Manziel a guy that's had alcohol drugs and commitment commitment problems to being a better quarterback bringing him in is just a recipe for disaster and for people to be divided amongst that team because he'll probably be paid you know a fair wage, I mean, a higher wage than most guys that are working their butts out there right now. What I would like to see, if this was, because if there's anyone that needs to sell tickets, and I know there were all kinds of no-shows on Saturday night for the game, the loss against the Bombers, but if they're looking to sell tickets or they're trying to make a splash, the Tiger Cats who own his rights, maybe the Argonauts and the Tiger Cats work out some type of a deal because the the Tiger Cats have his rights, they sell the rights for whatever, draft picks, players, whatever the deal would be, and give his rights to Toronto, and they can negotiate with him to, you know, because Ricky Ray's not getting any younger, and he's already got a bad shoulder right now. He's so let them have some old. celebrity factor in Toronto. Yeah, yeah make a, to make a splash, because if anyone needs to make a splash, it's not, the, the, the Ticats need wins, they don't need to make a splash. But hold on a second, <laughs> if you're saying that Johnny Manziel will come to the Ticats and implode and turn into a trouble, why would we want to then ruin the one team that's teetering on the brink of disaster all the time in the Argo? Send him there and the whole league falls apart. Well, again, I don't <laughs> <laughs> I know about that. But I just think you got a veteran quarterback, a 37-year-old quarterback that they're going to have to replace at some time. If Manziel is actually serious about uh, playing football and getting to the NFL, it's not going to happen in the NFL. He will need to play and prove himself elsewhere, whether it's the Arena League in the United States and probably the best option would be the Canadian Football League. And I know that there were reports of him having a workout with Saskatchewan Rough Riders earlier this year that was denied uh, by Chris Jones, the head coach and, and VP of football operations over there. Um, but if it's going to happen, if this guy is serious about you know changing his life, and he's he's you know been saying this, you know I'm looking into coaching. I want to I want to be you know I don't want to lose my skills because he hasn't played a competitive game in now three. I think we're going on three years right now, or going on uh, two years. Pardon, pardon me. So uh, anyway, to answer your question, long form, short form. 
I don't want them to be the Tiger Cats problem. Sell his rights. The Tiger Cats should sell his rights to Toronto. Uh, they need to make a splash. They need to make some noise. Okay, now, I'm going to throw out the real hypothetical to you here. You've suggested we put it to the Argos for sales purposes and to create a little sizzle. This is not going to happen, but you are the Argos and you have your choice. You can bring in to wear the double blue Johnny Manziel, Colin Kaepernick, or Tim Tebow. Who is your choice? Because you're selling the sizzle as well as trying to win games. Who is your choice for the faulty, flawed, but sizzle-filled quarterback that's going to turn your your fortunes around in the audience? Colin Kaepernick, and that's not even that's that I say that without a, a question. But to me, right now, the fact, and then we've discussed this before, the fact that he's not playing in the National Football League right now is an absolute joke. Tim Tebow would be obviously the the honor student of of everyone. Worked works hard, great guy, uh, you know, a man of God. Um, apparently, a very good teammate. Uh, but he he he's not a very good football player. He's not a very good quarterback. And I think over the long run, we saw that in the in the National Football League that um, he had a wonderful run with the Denver Broncos. Actually, won a playoff game, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers in overtime. Uh, did some wonderful things. But uh, over the long run, he just cannot make. And you have to make different and harder throws in the Canadian game than you do have to do in the, in the National Football League. He just doesn't have that, uh, the abilities. I think he can run the football. He could, be, he could be a heck of something else maybe, maybe a running back or a defensive player. There's something he could be in the CFL, but I don't think a quarterback is it. And to me, right now, Ka- Kaepernick's got an arm. He can run the football, great size. Uh, he would be really good. I think it would be really interesting to see him play in this league. You know, you raise an interesting idea, though. Bring Tim Tebow in and run some sort of wildcat offense where he can be a quarterback slash running back. Because in this league, there's not a lot of linebackers that are going to have an easy time taking down a 245-pound athletic guy who suddenly has a head of steam with the ball. Absolutely. He's a, there, there are definite, definite things. But I think if Tebow were to actually change his mind from baseball to football, that would be to, to be a quarterback, and that's a full quarterback, not some type of gadget, you know, gadget uh, specialty um, you know, uh, guy that has a certain set of pa- uh, uh, packaged plays you know, that he could perform. Um, Tim Tebow's going to basketball next, you know. You know He's going to well, work I, his way through. Because he can do it. He can do I, it. I, hey, I, I truly believe, Scott, that in September, in the September Major League Baseball call-ups, he, the New York Mets will be calling. 100%. 100%. Right? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And why not? Here, here, we got to go. But here's the thing. I've never understood. The NFL, I'm not going to say it's filled with hooligans. It's not. There are guys there who are problem players and problem people. I've never understood the hatred some people have for Tim Tebow. Because the guy's not the best player in the league, he probably, though, is the best human being in the league, and I've never understood the vitriolic feelings a lot of people have towards the guy. And if I'm the Mets, and he doesn't he cost me a few bucks in a major league salary, but I can bring him up and he's going to be a good teammate and he's not going to do me any harm and I can throw him out there to pinch run occasionally, why not? What's the harm? You know, I mean, absolutely. And, and again, he's, he's a high-effort guy that wants to impress, that wants to do good by people. So uh, I think there was a lot of people that thought he was very fake with that kind of attitude. But, I mean, anyone that's followed his, his career, and certainly people that have played with him, and going that goes right back to his days as a, as a member of the University of Florida with the Gators, um, knows what kind of character guy he is. So, Did you see the clip that was on the, uh, social media in the last week or so about it with him? 
He's in the on-deck circle at a minor league park. Oh, I can't remember yes, where it was. With the autism child. And there's yeah. a young boy with autism yeah. who walks yeah. up to the edge and is screaming for him. And while he's warming up, while Tebow's warming up to hit, he comes over and shakes the kid's hand and says hello and then goes and hits a home run. And it's yeah. like, that, that, you, you don't make that stuff up. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a player of God. Well, <laughs> you know what? More than I, and I, I look, I applaud it entirely. If you, a lot of these guys are standing in the on deck circle. They're pretending that and there's no distraction. Nothing could possibly distract me. Look, you can shake a kid's hand, and he did it, and then you play just anyway. I, 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 I would love for Tim Tebow to succeed at something. I mean, he did in college football. I'd, I'd love it because I think he deserves it. I don't know if he's ever going to. And I don't know if he's ever going to get a chance at football again, but certainly not with the Argos. Although no, that would be interesting. No, but I think he's made a full commitment to playing Major League Baseball. Yeah, like you're I right. Said. And, and really, you know, if when he if and when he gets called up uh, in September, uh, maybe he has a nice little run. Maybe there's some Tebow magic still left to be seen, but this time in Major League Baseball. I'm thinking Roy Hobbs. Oh, he's gosh. last at bat of the season. They're going to send up Tim Tebow, and he's going to hit one and burst the stadium lights, and the music is going to swell, and everyone's going to be weeping as he runs the bases, or not. Uh, you want to send us out with a little uh, Elvis sing-along, Bubba? I'm, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. I will listen. You know, you should sing your sportscast tonight, all with Elvis background music. Do Elvis karaoke sports. We actually get good ratings for that newscast, so I don't want to, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to hurt the ratings for this network right now. Bubba O'Neill, thanks for doing this. <laughs> Have a great day. That is uh, that is our friend Bubba O'Neill. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Two days from now, the Canadian National Exhibition is going to throw open its gates once again, which says two things. One... Uh, there's an opportunity for you to go down there and have a lot of fun. Two, the downside, it means summer is basically over, which, mm. see, it's the always, it's the good and the bad of the CNE. It's great, but it always reminds you that summer is nearly done. Anyway, I wanted to talk about this tonight because this is personally a lot of fun for me because back in 1988, summer of 1988, I was a journalism student with few skills, no idea what I was doing. Uh, a wonderfully lush head of hair, however. And I spent a summer as the sports publicist at the CNE, basically living on ice cream waffles, which I am glad that on the CNE's website now, the main picture as it rotates, one of the images is of the ice cream waffles that really should be the one of the fifth major food groups. Anyway, back then, almost 30 years ago now, Virginia Ludi was already working there as, well, I'm not even sure I can remember that. I'll ask her in a second. But Virginia Ludi is now the general manager. She's the boss of the entire CNE, a first female boss in the CNE's nearly 140-year-old history. Uh, she joins me now. Virginia, how are you? I'm great, Scott, and how are you doing? I'm doing great. What were you doing 30 years ago at the X? Uh, I was working in the marketing department. Right. I believe with you. Yes, I couldn't remember what your exact job. I knew we... You know, I knew you were there. I, I mean, you've been there. It's been a lifetime for you. It has been. It has been. I started in 1983 when I was doing an internship when I was at Ryerson University. I came back the next year uh, just to fill in for the summer. Uh, my former boss convinced me to come back, uh, but I did tell him I had to get on with life and find a real <laughs> career, and that just never panned out, so I'm still here. Why did you stay, though? I mean, not that it's a bad thing, but what, what kept you around? 
Well, you know, Scott, I think it's because I had all sorts of opportunities to work in in many different areas. When I was working with you, I was working in marketing. I worked in concessions. I've worked in operations. Um, You know, uh, I've just had so many opportunities to do so many different things um, that it just continued to, to, uh, you know, uh, be intriguing to me and uh, interesting. So I stayed. Well, it is. I mean, certainly the thing is huge. So there are plenty of opportunities. But does it remain difficult to... To, I mean, when you bounce around like that, I mean, I guess the, the, the plus side is you know how everything works now. That's right. When you're going to so, be in charge, you know, you know how everything works. Uh, that, that's right. So, you know, that, that's the advantage that I have. Um, and I've seen, you know, some of the good and the bad and the ugly over the years. Um, but, uh, you know, the Canadian National Exhibition has kind of con- gone through this transformation. And in the last 15 uh, to 20 years, um, we have seen some great success. And I think that the event today is very different than perhaps um, some of the past events, and it will certainly uh, change again in the future. So that's that's one of the exciting things about the event. It's always evolving, and it's always providing opportunities to change. Let's go to that for a second. In what way, when you look back, let's say 25 years ago, shortly after you had started there and you were getting going, how is it different today from then? Well, I think that at that time, you know, it was uh, it was seen as dirty and aged and old and a little bit tarnished, and it lost some of its luster. And we've managed to uh, take the event and really um, turn it into into a 21st century event. So, you know, our customers, um, we talk to them quite often. Um, We've done things on the site to enhance their experience, to create, you know, rest areas, places for them to sit down, great food opportunities. Um, We've um, uh, improved the look and the feel of the the grounds. When you go through the grounds, there's lots of plants, there's lots of benches. Everything's very colorful. Um, And so it just creates a really neat environment where people can just have a good time. There, if I'm correct, it was two or three years ago that the CNE became independent from the city and exhibition place, correct? That you're, is correct. You're your own entity now. How did that change what you were able to do? Well, you know, what it did was uh, when we were part of the city, of course, the city would um, would support us in the years if if perhaps our financial performance wasn't great, but also they took all of, all of our surpluses. And in the last 10 to 15 years, we've been quite successful in turning some pretty significant surpluses. And we wanted an opportunity to be able to reinvest those surpluses back into the event. And just under the city model, we weren't able to do that. Um, and so when we became an independent um, not-for-profit organization, we get no government subsidies whatsoever we don't we don't get any money from government um we're self-sustaining um and so now we're really able to reinvest into the event and 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 uh, really use that money to uh, bring new attractions and um, to enhance the experience for our customers and if again if i understand correctly i was glancing through the uh, the uh, annual report your attendance the last couple of years has been way up from i mean the last 15 20 years it was it's peaked it has. It has. It continues to grow. Um, in uh, 2016, we had uh, we had uh, over 1.5 million uh, visitors here at the fair over you know the 18 days of the event. In 2015, we had over 1.6 million, 
and uh, we uh, we can continue to see growth. We've got a great community that has grown around us um, in downtown Toronto, and so we've really um, learned how to engage with those folks and create attractions that are appealing to them and get them to come down and visit the X. Virginia, here's what really caught me off guard, though. Again, looking at that annual report and the numbers there, only 15% of your audience, according to that, was teenagers, but something like 30, almost 40% are the 20 to 39-year-olds. And why that catches me off guard is, A, because a lot of people have always perceived the X to be the midway, so you would think that would be a teenager thing. But the second thing goes back to what you said a few moments ago, that there was a time what do you want to say, 20, 15, 20 years ago, when you describe it, it was a little dirty and it seemed a little dingy. It w- you would think, I would think that that 20 to 39-year-old group would be the one that had said, no, I'm kind of done with the X. They're the ones who are carrying it now. They're, they are, and they're the ones who have moved into communities like uh, Liberty Village and City Place and all of those air, those neighborhoods that border on uh, the Canadian National Exhibition Grounds. Um, and so they they have come back. They, they like to come down. Um, we have a great um, After Five promotion, Monday to Thursday. You can get in for $8. So quite often they'll come down, have dinner, maybe go and take in a show at the Bandshell. Um, North American Midway, who's our Midway company, tells us that we are the only event that they play where they are seeing significant growth in nighttime audiences. And um, and we continue to see that growth. And so, you know, they, they'll come down multiple times, which is terrific, you know, so. The, um, where was I going to go here? Um, wh- okay, so we're now 140, 30. 100, 130 what? How many, what years are we at 139. now? 139. 139. What do you do then, with all that stuff you were just talking about, what do you do to remain relevant? And I know this question, again, is something you've answered a million times because when Wonderland opened, this was supposed to be the end of the X, and that's however many years ago. And But there's so many things to do, especially in Toronto, but people come from Hamilton, people come from everywhere. How do you remain relevant? How do you continue to bring people down? What is it that draws people back to the X? Well, I think that, the, you know, people have a, a connection with the event. Um, you know, we're a we're 139-year tradition, um, so people remember, have fond memories of coming down here with their family and their friends when they are younger, and they want to recreate those experiences for their grandchildren and their children. Um, you know, when, when places like Wonderland came along and when the Argos left and the Blue Jays left and it was going to be, you know, doom and gloom for the CNE, we just had to reinvent ourselves. And so what we've done is we have some of our, our core programs, um, that we uh, continue to um, uh, rebrand and reintroduce each year. But we also are very um, aggressive in being out there in the marketplace and finding new programs that intrigue and attract people. Um, and we have such a, you know, um, uh, such a, a broad appeal um, that we continue to see the success in this growth. So what is new this year then? When people want to come down, they're going to come on Friday. What are they going to see? And I know there's a lot of things, but what are some of the high points? What are some of the things that they're going to get this year that's new? Well, there's a couple of things um, that will be new this year. Um, we have a CNE Gaming Garage, uh, which is a festival within the festival. Um, that happens on the middle weekend, and that's for all those eSport uh, um, uh, folks out there. Uh, we're going to have <laughs> tournaments. We're going to have prize money. Uh, we'll even have some old pinball machines down for older folks like you, Scott, who may want to come and re- <laughs> you know, try their hand at uh, something they were probably good at many years ago. No, I just tilt it every time. Well, there you go. <laughs> See, still cheating. I, exactly yeah, still right. Cheating. Exactly um, right. We, we have a laser uh, illusionist down. I saw this guy about six months ago when I was in a conference uh, down east, and just an absolutely phenomenal show. We have an East Coast kitchen party. 
Have you ever been to an East Coast Kitchen Party? I have not. What is an East Coast Kitchen Party? We are having one on Princess Boulevard on opening weekend. Uh, It will be East Coast Entertainment, East Coast Food, East Coast Craft Beer, and you can come and get screeched in with the cod. Um, so that's an and that's a that's a Newfoundland uh, tradition. Yeah. Um, and of course we we you know for the first time and I can't remember. Um, I think once we had um, a program here with the Indigenous community, but we um, commissioned a unity pole to be carved um, this year by uh, an Ojibwe artist by the name of Chris Nagan, and he's out of the uh, Port Perry area, and he is he has carved this absolutely spectacular thirty foot unity pole, uh, which tells the, uh, a story. Um, it, it, it is helping us reconnect with the Indigenous people. We're bringing four artisans and uh, carvers from, Indigenous carvers from across the country, and they will be doing carving demonstrations. But more importantly, our visitors will be able to take up uh, their, the challenge and try a little bit of carving themselves, getting pointers from these experts. So it's a really interactive, interesting um, approach to, um, uh, to a, new, a, new art, a new art exhibit and form. I do remember when I was working there uh, the summer that I did, one of the things that was always a big part of what was going on at the X, it was always concerts every night at the, uh, used to be at, at the Exhibition Stadium, of course that's gone, but now at the Banshee, you guys, I think what, every night you have, I mean, Burton Cummings is there and Sam Roberts and the Sheepdogs, you guys got a lot of people coming in. That's right. Every night for the seventeenth every night, okay. fair, excluding Labor Day Monday, we have a concert at the Banshell, and those are some of the acts that are appearing. The ones that you just mentioned. Uh, this year, it's an all Canadian lineup, which is fantastic, and that those concerts are free with your admission. So you know, you pay your admission to get in, and all of our shows, all of our entertainment is free. The only thing you have to pay on top of your admission is for rides and food. I didn't know, by the way, looking at your lineup, I had no idea that Jack Bauer could sing. Kiefer Sutherland is on your lineup. Yes. Who yes, knew? He's got, he's got his own band, and he's coming. See, We're excited. I, I must be not paying attention because I see Kiefer Sutherland, and I think, you know, I think Jack Bauer. I don't think of, or maybe, what is he? Does he do the voice for, is it Ford or Chevy, one of those? Uh, but I had no idea that he could sing. There you go. So I, I may have well, to do that. There you go. Uh, today, I understand, by the way, was Media Day, which means that it was an opportunity for some of the possibly delicious, potentially bizarre food things, because there's always food things at the X. This is always one of the high points to get the most ridiculous food item that people could introduce there from the deep fried butter to whatever else. Uh, What did you try today? Was there something on there that you looked at and you said, there is no possible way that they are going to make this into a food? Well, I was challenged today. I did have to try the deep fried chicken feet. Right. <laughs> um, an interesting, an, an, an interesting little nibble. I, I will guess. say it was a it was a little nibble. I it was not I a full mouthful. I, I did not consume the whole thing. I was a bit of a wimpy girl. The chicken didn't have a very good pedicure, so I was a little bit, you know. Uh, yeah. I was kind of turned off by that. Pedicure um, or pedigree. And I also had and I also had some soft serve ice cream, which was sprinkled with crickets and chocolate covered crickets. So that I ate. I mean, you know, chocolate. I'll eat anything with chocolate. So. And how was that? Is that going to be a big seller? Are people going to come for the bugs? Yeah. Uh, oh, I think so. Come I for think the fun, stay for, stay for the bugs. That's right. There's yeah. your new motto. You know? you know, well, you know, we say deep fried, they'll buy it. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, but is there is it every year? Like, is it is there an expectation? There is an expectation now that there is going to be something at the X every year in the food area that people are going to be talking about. This food 
phenomena has taken off in the last, I would say, eight to ten years. And every year I think, well, okay, that's it. This thing's going <laughs> to run its course. And then these guys go back and gals go back into their kitchens and they create some more bizarre things. And, and there's kind of this little competition between us and the Calgary Stampede and the Pacific National Exhibition as to who can kind of get the wackiest food. So, you know, the management teams of those organizations kind of, um, you know, crank the uh, vendors up to, you know, do better, do better, do better. And uh, so, you know, they, they just keep coming up with these crazy concoctions. Is there, though, like, okay, so they're coming up with these ideas. But again, there is an expectation that there is going to be something crazy that is going to be available at the X in the food. So before they show up with their booths and get set up, you guys have made sure that one of them is going to have something that's going to make headlines, right? Oh, absolutely. We are we are talking with them throughout the year, working with them, um, and uh, but really they they are competing amongst themselves. You should you should see they're they're passionate about this. Um, and so they all look forward to Media Day when they can unveil their latest wonky food. Well, I uh, I did see a picture. You posted something on Twitter. I'm not exactly sure what I was looking at. It was a. It appeared to be a donut balancing on a ice cream cone with something else. I don't know if that's what it was. And sprinkles on the top. Yes, yes. And and there was a there was a uh, a, a big brownie on the bottom of it. No crickets. It looked absolutely delicious, but I didn't eat it. No crickets. No crickets on, on that one. No, that was pure sugar. Well, you know, it, there, there's always something. And um, yeah. it, CNE opens on Friday, runs until Labor Day, as is the case every single year. And it's, if nothing else, it's entirely predictable when you're going to be open. That's right. People That's can right. always know this. Yep, uh, always what, end on Labor Day. And what happens, one more thing, and I've forgotten this. Once upon a time, there would be people who would line up at the Prince's Gate days before to be the first ones in. They don't do that anymore, do they? No, they don't. Um, so we have our first family who will be arriving this year. We have a citizenship ceremony every year at the Canadian National Exhibition. And so one family from that uh, ceremony is invited to come back the following year to open the X, and they become our first family, which is kind of a neat thing. You know, you're at the X, you become a Canadian citizen, and then the next year you get to be our first family. And eat crickets. So, I mean, it's a and perfect world all around. Yeah, Virginia Looney, general manager of the CNE. I'm sure that uh, if you keep your eyes open, you will probably spot her walking around if you go down there. Because if you're still doing what you used to do, you'll be out there the whole time walking around and being visible. Well, I like to be out there and enjoy the fun like everybody else. It is, uh, it is great to hear your voice again, Virginia. And uh, I hope it goes really well for you this year. And I appreciate you taking the time today. Great. Thanks, Scott. Hope you can join us one day. Uh, absolutely. That is okay. Virginia Ludi, General Manager of the CNE. Again, um, the timing is always predictable. You always know it's the Friday, the second last Friday of August until Labor Day Monday. And then you just hope and pray for their sake. And again, when I worked down there, what you prayed for was weather. All you were hoping was that it was going to be decent weather because there's nothing else that kills it more than crappy weather. And there's nothing else that will bring people out like good weather. I tell you, I, I loved that summer working there. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was useless. I was writing press releases and I don't even know what else I was doing. I mean, I was being, believe me, I was being carried by my boss and Virginia was one of them. She was in marketing, which was a slightly different area, but I was being carried by my boss because I was hopeless, but man, was it a fun summer. I would, I would. I would definitely do that again. In fact, the only thing I never got to do was to guess someone's weight. See, I always thought going to the midway and guessing, and I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably sure, Will, I don't know if this is true, but 
I would think that in 2017, there is probably no longer a guess a person's weight thing. I would think that would be something they probably eliminated as a, let's make sure nobody gets punched in the face. You pay your two bucks and someone says, I think you weigh 320. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. It was 175. I mean, I, you know, who knows? I, I would think that guess, would you, would you expect that guess your weight still exists? I would not. I am trying to remember because I saw one somewhere. I cannot remember if that was it last year at the X, but I was very surprised as well. And there were, there were no one, uh, no one in line for that one. But. Yeah. It would almost be as awful as like, guess your age. I don't know if they've ever done it. Do they ever do a guess your age? They must somewhere. Um, yes or no. I am pregnant. That one you wouldn't want to have. That one. I'll tell you one more story before we go to break. I'll take that. I, was, I have never, I know some people have, I've never done, never made the mistake of asking someone, when are you due? And them not being pregnant. All right. I've not done that. I know people who have. I, I, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. That's one I've never made. But one time I did the opposite. I went up to someone because someone told me I'm at a dinner or something and someone said, hey, do you know that... Jane is pregnant and you know, Jane was a larger woman to begin with. Her name was not Jane, but she was a larger woman to begin with. And I said, no, I had no idea that Jane was pregnant. So I went up and since I knew she was now pregnant, I said, Hey, Jane, congratulations. I hear you're pregnant. When are you due? (laughs) And she goes in two weeks. (laughs) See, that's almost as bad. If you can't even recognize that the person is pregnant, the best advice, just don't mention pregnancy to anyone ever, unless you're related or the father or a family member, just never mention pregnancy and certainly don't have a booth at some sort of fair that is guess whether or not a person is pregnant. That would be a bad one. You'd, you, you'd, you would probably be taking your life in your hands if you were be doing, doing the guessing on that one. Anyway, I don't think they have that at the X, but go down and find out who knows. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.